DJ and PK, it's time to welcome in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, the Jazz keep winning, and now it's gotten to the point we're starting to see stuff at, well, they're peaking too soon. Do you ever worry about a team <laughs> peaking too soon, or as a coach, were you just happy we're winning and you'll deal with the whole peaking, not peaking, which doesn't necessarily mean it isn't true, but at the same time, you can't tell your team to go out and lose so they don't peak. Well, I, you know, I think every coaching staff knows uh, when teams are playing well, and uh, and and when you are, you know, you uh, you kind of, I don't know, you 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 don't downplay it, but you want to just get, 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 keep guys doing going forward and understanding their roles and doing what they're doing. Uh, but I but I think the maturity of this team, the coaching staff, uh, there's a lot of really good things that we can say about the Jazz right now, but probably uh, none more than. This is a group collectively that understand their roles, the system. Uh, they like each other. You know, a lot of the things that some teams struggle with, regardless of talent, and certainly there's significant talent here, but it's the collectiveness of everybody understanding a role, everybody understanding a system, uh, you know, next man up when somebody's hurt, all of those things. So, I mean, we're all, as coaches, we are a little bit superstitious, but when things are good, you know, enjoy it and continue to get better. I, I think that it's when you're playing well and winning that there's even more of an attention to detail from coaches, staff to players, from players to players. They, they sense and know that this is something special this year, and uh, they don't want to look back and have any regrets in terms of, well, we, we kind of got a little bit soft here. We didn't continue to you know, execute our roles and play together. You, know, you don't want to look back ever and see that. So you do the little things, more film more conversations, tweaking things constantly to keep that, that momentum going. When, when you look at Utah, a Utah franchise isn't supposed to go 19-1. and one. It's not supposed to have multiple All-Stars. This is supposed to be a place that is out in the middle of nowhere and people don't like coming here and it's cold and it's snowy and it's backwater. Uh, but yet this team is just playing great ball probably as well as it can play. How much do you think all that stuff as far as this rep being this place that isn't a glamour spot can actually work to the advantage of the players in terms of, man, nobody really thinks you can get the job done in Salt Lake. So if you do get it done, it seems like it's, wow, that would be something even more special than just getting it done actually. I think every guy in that team has, has that mentality. I mean, you can just, as you watch them, and I don't get to see them up close and personal as, as you do, the two of you do, but um, I, I think that all of those things play into it. And I think coaching staffs take advantage of that. I think leaders and teams of, of players, they understand that, uh, you know, this isn't a media capital in the country. There's not going to be a great deal of attention. However, it's hard to ignore 19 out of 20. <laughs> And I, you know, one of the things that I enjoy, I mean, I listen to a lot of serious NBA radio and just because I enjoy it. And, uh, and I, I think Utah Jazz have everybody's attention. They understand it, but there's always, in fact, I heard Thurl Bailey on, uh, on the radio yesterday. And, you know, the question always comes up, well, uh, let's see how they do the Lakers. Can they beat the Lakers? You know, or is it the Clippers? There's always that question 
uh, do they have the ability at the next level to, to what those are things like Thoreau said, those are things you don't know. But at the end of the day, I think his comments were, were, were really, really good. It's like, there, there's no one in this organization that doesn't believe that they can't beat anyone. And, and that's where their mindset is, but you still have to do it, but they're just looking for things to talk about because in terms of the play, uh, when people are injured, guys stepping up, uh, you know, the jazz is probably the greatest stretch of NBA basketball in the history of, of the organization, I would think. Uh, and so that's, there's nothing but good that comes from that. And, and this is a mature group. It's not a, a, a young group where you have to, a bunch of rookies or you have guys that, where their priorities aren't straight. I mean, there are a lot of things impacting this, this league this year. I mean, there really are. I mean, from COVID to start with and all the protocols, uh, literally no home court advantage, uh, games postponed, teams with injuries, quick turnarounds, playing more games than they've ever played in a short period of time. All of these things are impacting teams in the league, and yet they don't seem to be impacting the Jazz. I mean, Conley goes down for five games, and Ingles at three out of four games scores in the mid-20s. I mean, people are stepping up. So it seems to me that all the outside distractions and issues and challenges haven't impacted the Jazz. They've just kind of gone, all right, next man up, let's go forward, let's, let's deal with this. Whereas some teams have been just devastated and by the protocol and and literally guys aren't playing night in and night out and it's hard to get that continuity and the jazz have experienced some of that as well but the maturity of this team the experience of this team they kind of got through all that and it really you just see a team that seems to be oblivious to all those things i just talked about that impact team success and and i think that's just the fact that they've got a wonderful system in place they've got good coaches and they've got mature players that uh know their roles, and uh, you can just plug one guy in for another, and, and they understand that. And when you have, under, when you have players understanding their roles, uh, I don't care what level, high school, junior high, whatever, you're going to be better, and this team has that. And uh, then that just increases the confidence of every person in the program. So when you talk about guys knowing their roles, you know, Royce O'Neal's role is to uh, move the ball, occasionally hit the open shot, and some of his teammates have said they wouldn't mind if he took a few more shots that he's passing some up. But basically his role is defend Antetokounmpo one night, Butler another night, and then Simmons the night after that. And sometimes he's on tiny little point guards, and sometimes he's on massive guys like Jokic. And we don't talk about it much because, uh, you know, offense is more fun to talk about than defense unless you're Gobert blocking shots at the room. But can you speak to what it's like to have a guy who's versatile and can defend that many different guys? Well, it, it's, it's, a, it's something a coach loves. And, and the more guys that can guard multiple positions, you are better able to deal with injuries, sickness, protocols, and so forth. You just plug somebody else in. And Royce has been a guy that has done that, but they, they have others that are capable and willing and willing to accept another role, not worrying about the next contract, worrying about this or worrying about that, or trying to uh, appease you know this particular faction of people, family members, coaches, whomever. There, there just doesn't seem to be those types of distractions with this team. And so, with a guy like Royce O'Neal, I mean, as a coach, you you love those types of guys that could guard 
the three, they could guard the four, they could guard the five, you know, and I, I always felt like I, as a coach, I liked going smaller in college because everybody was interchangeable, especially defensively, where you could switch everything. And, uh, and that just made it more difficult, you know, and you can put those kind of lineups. I mean, most of my experience at, at, uh, at every level, high school, junior college, division one level, end of games, I seldom went big. I, I wanted to have the ability to defend uh, in, a, in the most simple way that I could and not make myself vulnerable where people could take advantages of weaknesses. I wanted to have my best defensive group to finish games off. And, and, and when you have that, you have a rather than, you know, size is important and having, having bigs is important, but sometimes it can be a detriment in late game situations because of the ball screen actions and you get mismatches, whereas there's no advantage gained when you play a little bit smaller. And, and the Jazz have the ability, not that six, seven, six, eight is small at the professional level, but they have the ability. A guy like Royce O'Neal can guard any position on the floor. And the more guys you can have do that, uh, the more consistent you're going to be. Uh, there'll be less slippage in games defensively. And, and, and like you mentioned it, I mean, it, it, he knows what his role is. It, it's not about him. I mean, he's going to have nights where he knocks shots down, and, and that's great. But that's not his most significant role on this team. Did you get to know Ryan Smith at all? Yeah, I, I do know Ryan through just meeting him and talking to him. And, and it, he, he was in school and finishing school. And I know when I'd come back and I would, I would be with Dave or Tim McComb and, and, and I'd met Ryan a few times on the golf course and knowing from afar, I, my, I think that uh, my, I have one of my children just moved back to Provo and uh, their, uh, their daughter is, is good. It's part of a dance group that's there. So they're, they're having a little more interaction than I've had, but I've watched Ryan from afar, but, but not in a real personal basis other than that we have met several times, but never a real relationship. Steve Cleveland joining us, our basketball insider here. You mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, health and injuries and uh, big games going forward. And we'd all circled these big games against the East and the Jazz have swept them. And next up is the Clippers twice and the Lakers before the All-Star break. You're in California and you're following your Lakers and you're following Paul, Paul George who played for you and AD's out and looks like he's not going to play till after the All-Star break. And now the Clippers have won their last two games without their two stars. Kawhi Leonard's been out and Paul George has been out for a half dozen games. Do you think the Jazz are going to see any of these stars, or are these guys all going to be sitting when the Jazz play them? No, I don't. I don't think AD. I think you're right. I don't think AD is going to play until after the All Star game. There, there's no. I mean, he's got to get better. I mean, the Lakers can't. He has to have a significant role for the Lakers to win. I mean, they just do not have. He compliments so many other people. So I, yeah, I, I think they're going to sit him, and uh, they may, you know, finish uh, a little farther down in the standings than they'd like. But they need a healthy AD. Uh, both Paul and uh, Kawhi have, have missed significant games, and guys have stepped up, and they've won a couple of games with without those guys. So, you know, I, I think number one, I, I don't think that this is a really mature Jazz team. They're they're not going to be tricked in. I mean, the, hey, this is the NBA. Guys step up. Guys that don't have opportunities step up, and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, uh, you know, guys are. Simmons goes for 42 last night. It was like, well, why is he not doing that every game? Well, because Embiid didn't play. You know, and I, and I think that 
the end of the day, every team has guys that can play once given an opportunity. So I, I'm sure I'm, I'm absolutely certain that the Jazz aren't going to overlook the Clippers. Uh, it, you know, if you were going down to play the Clippers in a normal situation, playing two games back to back, whether you had fans and you had this and you had that, you know, you know, you'd really be in for a test. I mean, there's a, it's not going to be quite the same thing, but I don't think the Jazz are going to get tricked into fooling themselves, thinking, "Hey, we're going to go down there. They're missing good guys." That's just not the maturity of this team. I mean, that's not, the coaching staff's not going to allow that. There'll be difficult, challenging places to play. Guys will step up for them. I, I don't know if, if they're going to play, but even if they don't play, uh, nobody can just take a night off and go down and think you're going to win in the NBA just because the superstars aren't there. But, yeah, is, would you rather, uh, you know, not have them play? Yeah, probably as a coach. I'd rather not have Paul and, and, and Kawhi out there. But that's not what they're wishing for. But it just seems to be happening all over throughout the league where a lot of the superstars are not there. So, yeah, it's not the same situation. With no fans and guys down a man or two, uh, the Jazz are still going to have to play well. You're on the road. And uh, the, I just can't see the Jazz overlooking anybody regardless of who's playing. That's just not the makeup and DNA of this team. And so they're, they're going to be prepared and uh, – you know, the playoffs will be the playoffs, but just getting through this season is uh, quite a chore in itself, and nobody's done it better than Utah. So we're seeing this with the Clippers and the Jazz playing this two-game series, both in Los Angeles. We're seeing it at the college level, too. We've got Utah State, Boise State. Both of these games are going to be in Boise this week. As a fan, I like it because it, it adds a little extra intrigue, these little mini-series things. What do you think of this as a coach? Hey, you know what? Uh, I mean, I'd rather be playing at home than on the road on those back-to-backs. But, but uh, I like it. I, I like it. And, and, I, and, I, and I think that you've got, a, you've got your group focused. You're there for a week. You know, everybody's you know, kind of got their minds right. And, uh, and, 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 and there's a quick turnaround. Uh, and when all things are somewhat equal, you know, there's a great disparity in, you know, in talent, which, you know, with Boise State and that's the, and Utah State, two really good basketball teams. So as a fan, I number one, I completely agree with you. As a coach, uh, yeah, you know what? I, I, I like the quick, I'd like the quick turnaround. You get an opportunity, especially when you're going on the road, you've got a chance to steal one there. Uh, you know, would you rather play two at home? Yeah, absolutely. But that's not the case. But I do like it. It's what they have to do to catch up and make up. It, this, this whole collision thing is going to be interesting to see who goes to the tournament, who doesn't. I mean, I'm looking at conferences where one team's, you know, three and three and somebody else is uh, 10 and two. You know, <laughs> you know one, one team's played 11 games, one's played six or seven. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll never have to go through this again. But I like it. I like it. And I think I like it as a coach as well. You've, you've got everybody's full attention. You're going to get the most out of them. And you're not going to have 6,000 people in Boise screaming and yelling at you. And so that does make a difference, I'm telling you. N- not having fans, uh, and, and at times it, it, it can be an advantage for the visiting team going into a place, even though the baskets are different and the setting, you know, the environment's a little bit different. You know, a couple of shoot-arounds, you get used to the environment. So I, th- I think it's an advantage for teams that are on the road where they're playing back-to-backs, where they're not dealing with a fan base, where they're maybe dealing with somebody that's injured. So uh, I think there's no longer the disparity, and now it's a huge advantage coming to 
University of Utah or BYU or Utah State. We, we know that. But it, it, let's, let's be honest with each other. There's a huge difference in playing where there's a full arena and a ton of noise. It impacts games. And you, that element to competition in the NBA this year doesn't exist. And it may not exist even through, who knows, we, we might be back in the bubble again. Well, hopefully not. But it is different. And, and I think for teams that are more mature, they handle that better than, than, than those that don't have it and just, uh, you know, can't cope with travel, can't cope with protocols and all the other things that are happening. So I think in that respect, Utah Jazz are, are one up on everybody just because of their experience, maturity, and their focus. Well, to your point, the news is breaking right now. San Antonio's got four positive tests, and the league's postponing the next three games, sources tell ESPN. And Charlotte's undergoing contact tracing, and will have their next two games postponed. So, yes, it is a season unlike any other. Uh, but one of the things that's happening with these, uh, these series PK's talking about, these two games in three days, is it's minimizing travel. And... Dennis Lindsay said that was one of the big lessons of the bubble that the players all told him, wow, I'm not getting on and off airplanes. I feel totally different. How big a deal do you think it is for the pros? And is it the same deal for college or is it a little less of a deal because they're traveling regionally? What do you think about the lack of travel that this brings to it, minimizing the travel? Well, I mean, anytime you minimize, I think it's a good thing, uh, considering all the issues and elements that you're dealing with right now. So it makes perfectly good sense. Uh, and, and you know, they're, they're, I know just collegially speaking, you know, when when teams can fly in and sleep in their own beds, you don't think that makes a difference? Or I, we go to San Diego State, we come back, and we're in my bed by 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'm, I'm getting to sleep in my own bed versus going through uh, terminals, uh, riding a bus, you know, playing a game. You're, you're now you're I, – I can – I'll never forget um, – we are one of our first year, our first year at BYU where there was a snowstorm and, and we were obviously, uh, you know, a, a team that uh, didn't have a great deal of talent, you know, great young man, a lot of heart, but I can remember weather patterns and circumstances where we're driving a, a bus to, to, uh, to Vegas. Uh, we're flying, getting into Albuquerque at, at two in the morning. Uh, no, no shoot around, uh, no pregame, just get there. We did a walkthrough. I mean, it was crazy. And yet somehow, some way, we found a, found a way to win there in that particular game. But in most times when teams, the advantage to collegiate teams that can fly in and out is a huge advantage over those that have to go through public transportation. And, and, uh, and, I, and I think with the pros who do, have, do, do fly in and out and already have access to all those things, uh, the transportation, it, it, it just saves your body. It, you know, just being on your feet, eating, you know, in, in different restaurants and, and dealing with the time and, and not sleeping well. You know, I mean, that, I mean, I know everybody think, well, how can a 28-year-old not sleep well, you know? But at the end of the day, well, that travel can catch up with you, and it does make a difference. So, again, another thing for, uh, for everybody, I mean, it impacts everybody, that you have a better opportunity to win on the road when uh, you're not having to deal with, even at the pro level where they got private jets and everything, it's still sleep issues, weather issues, uh, the environment issues, all the things that, that go into traveling. It's never easy to play on the road, uh, but it's easier today than it was you know, two years ago. 
And that win you speak of at the pit might have been the most improbable one that I've ever covered in person in my entire life. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I think about that weekend, and uh, we're going. I think they were 13th or 14th ranked. They were they were ranked pretty high. Yeah. And the, the irony of that game is uh, Justin Whitehower, who had was kind of like the lone That's senior. Larry on that Bird, team. you're talking about, not Justin <laughs> <Yeah>. Whitehower. <laughs> his first 10 shots in a row. And, you know, here's the funny thing about that game. And, I, I mean, it's one of those impression, impressionable things in your life as a coach. We're up like 18 or 20 at half. And at the first TV timeout in the second half, we're up two or four. And we're going, oh, my. And the place is going crazy. And somehow, some way, you know, uh, Danny Bauer hit a couple big threes. Ron Solis made up. I mean, it was one of those improbable games. And – I will tell you a little inside peek on that. I remember the the meeting that we went to. This this is where we had to, you know, it took us forever to get everywhere because of the snowstorm. But I can remember, you know, trying to say something positive in a team meeting after we did film and we were going to get ready to get on a bus. And I, we needed to win two games to make the tournament. That, that time the WAC was 16 teams. And I remember turning to them and said, we can do this, you know. And I, and I, I was trying to be as positive as I could. And I walked out the door and I go, that was probably the stupidest thing you've ever said. You know, I mean, I thought that, that doubt crept into my head. But then I went right back and I said, listen to me. I'm telling you, you can go and win in these places, you know. And so winning that game and then that next day we, we go to El Paso and UTEP wasn't ranked, but they had a really good team and Hall of Fame coach and Don Haskins. And uh, for another time, I'll share with you my experience. I have a coach Haskins, but he came down and introduced himself to me congratulated us on the win, and uh, I don't think he thought we had a snowball's chance in hell of winning there. That <laughs> night, triple overtime, we beat them and qualified for the tournament. Probably the single most significant event in over a weekend that I've ever been involved with with a young group of guys, uh, not a lot of experience, a lot of junior college guys, and they found a way to get it done. So that is one of the great memories of, with a group of guys, and anytime we see each other, we kind of always talk about that. How, how did that happen? <laughs> but it did, and so you, you never stop believing. Steve, as always, we appreciate a little time. Thanks for joining us. Sorry you're not here shoveling snow with the rest of us. We finally got snow, yeah. but you know, you're in Fresno. You probably have fog. We have a little bit of not so much fog anymore, but it is much much nicer weather, golfing weather. Yeah, you win. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Take Thanks, care. Steve.